The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. With those words, I welcome you to the Time of Monsters podcast. Uh, this uh, episode, we're returning to um, a topic that uh, we, we had discussed um uh, two weeks ago, um, in a shared podcast with Jewish Currents, uh, the, the new film uh, Oppenheimer, uh, um, which I think is a very significant uh, film. It's uh, shockingly um, uh, uh, made more in excess of seven hundred million dollars, uh, and is a you know like um, outperforming Mission Impossible, uh, <laughs> which is the latest Mission Impossible movie, uh, and and that's great. Uh, to hear because it's a very serious movie that grapples with um, uh, real history. Um, but I think there's a lot more to say about the movie beyond the previous podcast. And and to do so, I'm um, very happy to have on uh, uh, frequent uh, 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 co-host and colleague of this podcast, uh, Doug Bell, um, who has uh, a lot of uh, sort of uh, inside scoops on this Um uh, in part because uh, he was there at the Institute for Advanced Studies, where Oppenheimer was such a big uh, uh, figure. Um, uh, Doug was there uh, to witness the movie being filmed, uh, and you know the famous scenes of um, Oppenheimer and uh, Einstein uh, by the pond. Uh, well, well, Doug Bell has thrown uh, rocks into that pond and, and caused his own ripples. Uh, so, so, so uh, the Doug, uh, the, the uh, I'm glad to have you here as always well as always ajit it's a it's a it's it's a pleasure to be here and i i will say that i i was um there and, and you know as a consequence of good offices of my wife who's a, a math a historian of mathematics and had a, a posting there for a bit and um you know and i was i look i mean i i i played obviously no role in the movie other than to just sort of skulk around on the edges of it and 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 watch it being filmed now i, I that went on for uh, it, it affected the life of the Institute for a couple of weeks. And um, it, it was an extraordinary thing to to witness. I mean, the the, the level of uh, detail uh, in terms of uh, uh, turning uh, the Institute for Advanced Study in uh, in Princeton, at Princeton, whatever the terminology is, the metaphysical relationship between Princeton University and, and the Institute for Advanced Study. Um, uh, that that they turned it into a, uh, an entire uh, set uh, that 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 passed for 1947, which included the cars, the clothes. They actually changed the office plates. They put the original names on Herman Weil, Einstein, all the rest of it. Um, and it was it was quite something to watch. And and I mean, just to the side, I mean, you could see. Uh, even looking at it from a distance, the extent to which Nolan it makes himself absolutely central to everything that goes on. So, uh, I mean, to the point that uh, he would, in the evenings, take the same walk uh, up towards the director's office completely alone. And I just happened to see this uh, from a, a spied from a window. And he, he sort of processed up turned and looked back at the building uh, with this kind of drama and flair. And then, of course, all his crew and so forth rushed to him as he indicated that, that things could move forward from that. Um, so that there, there was a sense of drama, even in, you know, watching it being made. Okay, very, very no, that, that, that's good to hear. I mean, it, it, uh, certainly the movie that one sees on the screen, clearly a lot of care, um, 
for uh, at least visual historical accuracy is there. Uh, but I mean, Oppenheimer lived a very big and sort of complicated life. Uh, and uh, by necessity, the movie is has to be selective and compress uh, uh, um, and perhaps make um, uh, editorial decisions that one could contest. But, but, but before we get into that, I mean, like, what's your overall impression of the movie? Well, look, it's a great movie. <laughs> I mean, let's 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 state it absolutely plainly. Uh, I've seen it twice. I saw it on on Saturday uh, again, and was struck the second time even more so by ah, the dramaturgy, the quality of the of the dialogue, and then I mean the technical aspects of it, right? I mean, they they the um, cinematography, the use of sound. I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible how he creates tension in a story where we all know what the what the result is, more or less, right? We know what's going to happen, and yet, much as he did with Dunkirk, he also uh, a similarly uh, a tense movie. Where we sort of already know what the story is. Uh, he creates through this tapestry of sound and 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 cinematography, uh, kind of an amazing cinematic experience. Um, now, I. Do have quibbles? Uh, well, do there's quibbles. no podcasting without quibbles. So, <laughs> so, no, so no, let's hear that. Quibbles. Well, I, I, if I may, I'm just gonna I, I'm just gonna tell you a joke uh, to give you a sense of what my, of, of the, the the extent of the cavil, the quibble. Uh, it's from from Stuart Lee, the great uh, British uh, stand-up, who's talking about um, <laughs> of all things, you know that that maybe uh, he's got misgivings about the fact that everybody seems to have agreed. Uh, in much the same way that everyone's agreed that Oppenheimer is a terrific movie, that uh, the Loch Ness Monster doesn't exist. And he says, I, I don't know anything about zoology, biology, geology, cryptozoology, evolutionary biology, meteorology, but I think, <laughs> so in the same way, I'm going to, I'm going to stand in, su in, to, in some degree against the consensus uh, with regards to this movie, because I do think that there's, uh, a pretty big sinkhole near the center of it, irrespective of the fact that it, that overall it's a great movie. And what it, it what it turns on, um, and I'm going to start sort of at the I'm I'm going to turn the thing on its head and start at the end with my with my first mm -hmm. uh, misgiving and then work back from that. Um, is the actually the last shot in the picture? Uh, is, uh, and I, I hope, I, I guess this is a spoiler, but at this point, my God, the thing's made 700 million bucks. I'm not, I mean, we can't possibly. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, any, I, 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 I can't do any harm. Yeah, I can't do any harm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the thing is, towards the end of the movie, right at the end, uh, Einstein and uh, Oppenheimer are standing beside the pond at the Institute for Advanced Study, a kind of calm, uh, uh, place to go and, and contemplate things. Two of them are staying together and there's in, in a sense kind of summing up certain aspects of the drama. One of which is that uh, uh, Oppenheimer claims, although it's not actually true, it's a bit of dramatic license that he'd given um, uh, uh, Einstein some calculations uh, to uh, run through, which, which he was hoping to prove that the bomb itself would not, in essence, destroy the world. Uh, that that there was this possibility that the bomb itself, if let off, and this is true. I mean, there was some concern that if they let it off, that it would ignite the the atmosphere and 
it had created uh, a chain reaction that could not be controlled. Right, right. Which was actually near zero, like 0. 0.001. And there's a joke in the movie about it. Be better if off it was it was actually zero. Of course, yeah. If, if that's Rose, the uh... Rose makes that that joke in the movie, but um, but uh, he he reminds Einstein of this in the last shot, and Einstein Einstein kind of in a distracted way says, "Well, what of it? Uh, what of it being destroying the world?" And there's then an immediate close up on uh, on um, uh, Cillian Murphy uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, where and the immediate close up is then uh, sort of punctuated with various shots of kind of nightmarish scenes that we've that are really a product of Oppenheimer's imagination of uh, the, how horrifying and horrible the possibility of the world is now that the nuclear genie's been let out of the bottle. And he says, last line of the movie, uh, what of it? quote, I believe we did, unquote, which is to say, I believe we destroyed the world. Uh, yeah, no, I'll just say that those... Um, metaphorically, uh, metaphorically, yeah, yeah, yeah. as an yeah. analogy. No, no, there's a couple, I'll say um, those visions that Oppenheimer has, um, they're one of several points of the movie where there's a kind of visual allusion to uh, Stanley Kubrick's great um, satire of nuclear war, Dr. Strangelove. Um, those are kind of like Dr. Strangelove scenes of, you know, the missiles going up and exploding in the atmosphere and the kind of doomsday device being uh um unleashed uh so so i do think that like yeah there is this this sense um that the movie ends on the you know same note as dr strangelove that you know like um you know it's been nice knowing yeah <laughs> yeah know? yeah we'll meet again don't know where don't know when um so but, but... uh uh the um uh yeah i don't know and what's your doubt about that that's a very powerful ending and who am i to gain say as i said as i suggested but it does the, the, look. The shot itself is clearly mindful. Uh, the shot, the close-up of 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 um, of um, Oppenheimer is clearly mindful of a kind of uh, of the iconography of medieval martyr, right? Mm -hmm. A very you know the kind of thing of Christ on the cross, looking completely dejected and sad and and mortified at the at the at the at the uh, you know the. the the chaos of man. I mean, there's probably a better way of putting it. That's led to to his demise, mm -hmm. um, and so of which he is part, right? And so he's looking at, like a martyr. And then, of course, the the absolute last shot is back after all the allusions to Kubrick, a good deal less comic, I might add. Um, uh, uh, he closes his eyes, mm -hmm. and and that's then we go to black, right now. The impression that one is left with, and I'm sure that the, that you know there are critics that will suggest otherwise, and that this will be a matter of controversy. But I, 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 my view of it is is that that leaves us with the general impression that uh, Robert Oppenheimer is a martyr to non-proliferation, that he's a martyr for for rational science, and that he's been martyred by the. Uh, you know, military industrial complex, exactly, and the, exactly, the American and, political state, and 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 all the rest of it.
Yeah, well, and... I mean, that is one interpretation of the movie, that the movie is about how this uh, very smart guy um, kind of made a deal with the devil. He wanted to defeat the Nazis. He allied himself with, you know, a government that he really had no reason to trust. But he thought, you know, he could, uh, because they needed his expertise, he'd be in a position to... Um, um, uh, use his uh, intelligence the way he wanted to, and that he was ultimately undone by a kind of hubris, or that the um, uh, once the military industrial complex had the bomb, they didn't need Robert Oppenheimer anymore, right? They had plenty no. of other guys who could make other bombs, and so 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 they went out, they systematically destroyed this guy because uh, uh, he was no longer necessary. No, no, and and the 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 difficulty I have with it is that the idea of him being and look, it's not it's it's it, it's a completely comprehensible case that you've just made and 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 a strong one, but I do am left with the I was left with the vague sort of uneasy feeling that this would somehow forgive everything that had happened before, and uh, some of which is on screen, some of which is not. And particularly as regards, and, and, and this all, I, I will say, I do think Robert Oppenheimer is a martyr in a sense, but not a martyr for the reason that the movie wants to make out and not a martyr in the sense that he was, you know, Saint Fran you know uh, uh, Thomas More, right? I mean, he's a martyr in the sense that, that anti-communism is the great self-inflicted wound, the own goal of all time. Right in, in the American experience, and uh, he's done he's done low by it because Strauss, his uh, uh, this guy on the uh, Atomic Energy Commission, chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, goes after him because of his uh, uh, quote unquote communist leanings prior to um, uh, prior to Los Alamos, and and uh, you know from the crazy kind of McCarthy view right through Los Alamos, right up until the, the day he loses his, his security clearance. Uh, but the thing is, Oppenheimer himself traded in that stuff. And this is not made clear, in my view, it's not made clear enough in the movie the degree to which he does trade in, in, in precisely that thing which brought him low, which is to say anti-communism. And the first example of it I'm going to raise is a guy called uh, uh, I, I want to get the name right because I always get all these names wrong. R R Rossi Lomanitz. Mm -hmm. And Rossi Lomanitz is in the movie and uh, he's he was uh, a uh, he's one of the graduate he's one of the graduate students aligned with 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 Oppenheimer. He subsequently hired onto the Manhattan Project. Now, what then happens to him, which is sort of alluded to in the movie, uh, uh, at, at one stage, what happens to him is that he is uh, subpoenaed by the uh, by HUAC, House Un American Activities Committee, as is uh, uh, Oppenheimer. But Oppenheimer, uh, uh, in his testimony before HUAC in nineteen, I think it's forty nine, mm -hmm. basically throws Rosie Rossi Luminance Luminance under the bus. And says, yeah, he was a communist. And I had grave misgivings about this right at the time. Mm -hmm. um, now, he volunteered that information to, to the House Un-American Activities Committee in front of Richard Nixon. Right. Nixon mm -hmm. was sitting there on the committee at the time. So that makes it a, a pretty conclusively important historical event. 
right? Now, you know, again, you can sort of say, well, was Oppenheimer completely conscious of uh, the ramifications, the implications of what he was to do, of, 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 of uh, uh, volunteering Lominitz's name and his affiliations? And you could argue that maybe he didn't have as complete an understanding of it as you might have. I, I find that hard to believe. I just do. I mean, I, I think that the general tenor of what had been going on at that point was was pretty clear. Sure, and, sure. Now, 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 the movie does have him volunteering certain information in a very qualified way uh, and uh, doing so in a way to maybe defend his friends. Like he does kind of um, um, volunteer the name of um, uh, his friend um, Chevalier, uh, Hakun, the wonderfully named uh, right, Norwegian right, yes. Frenchman, uh, <laughs> Hakun Chevalier, um, uh, who's also a distinguished uh, literary critic. Uh, now, but he's shown as like, you know, the wolves are at the door, uh, they they want a, a a sacrifice. Oppenheimer is trying to shield certain people, and he kind of you know um, 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 throws uh, uh, some information out that uh, maybe he um, uh, uh, shouldn't have, uh, and it's just kind of like a, shown as a strategic miscalculation. But but no, you I, want, I, but, but I think what you want I, to argue is that there's a much much more complicity with um, McCarthyism. Well, no, no, absolutely, and it's more invidious. I mean, the thing is, is that Hacken Chevalier was it was a tenured prof, right? He suffered a little bit as a consequence of, but he was well established in his career. Mm. Plus, everybody knew that he was he was he was he was Oppenheimer's best friend. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were they were very close. And and now again, whether the, it, it it gets dicey. I mean, the, the 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 complication here. One of the complications is, and it's shocking when you read the book. Uh, the the book by um, uh, uh, Bird and, and 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 Sherwin, yeah. Uh, the, the degree to which uh, uh, Oppenheimer was under surveillance. I mean, the mm -hmm. guy didn't. Excuse, it's a it's a rude thing to say. He didn't take a dump or a pee without the FBI having. J. Jagger Hoover. Uh, uh, Jagger <laughs> Hoover. Yeah, being, yeah, holding you know, the toilet it, paper. Holding uh, the toilet paper, exactly, exactly. Um, and and it's a crude way of putting it, but it's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the thing is, what's what's intriguing to me is the ambiguity there is that uh, at one level, and and to a degree, the way the the movie tells it, it's like, oh my God, the FBI was all over, and what a shocking thing, which it is. But I think the the, the difficulty is is that is that Oppenheimer, when you read the book, he had a pretty good sense of that. I mean, mm -hmm. he knew, uh, particularly. Once he'd gotten onto the Manhattan Project, that the that the national security state was being uh, was being uh, 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 sort of geared up to deal with the security issues around not just uh, uh, Robert Oppenheimer, but anybody who worked on the project, right? That they were going to be subject to surveillance and all the rest of it, and. The, the the thing, sorry, I'm just going to go back to Rosie Laminis, and not just him, there were several others, uh, mm -hmm. Peters, David Bohm, there's a bunch of them. And the, the thing is, these were guys who, first of all, there wouldn't have been, certainly prior to the war, prior to their being hired on to the Manhattan Project, there wouldn't have been anything like the degree of surveillance that that existed because look, I mean, sorry, I, I know I'm jumping around here a bit, but but the thing is, for God's sakes, uh, 
Oppenheimer was subject to Hoover's interests even prior to the war. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, I mean the, the American anti-communism goes back, you know, at least to the first Red Scare of the First World War, if not earlier. And definitely in the 1920s and 30s, you already have a security apparatus of Red Hunters that are monitoring, uh, you know, anyone who signs a petition or is in the, you know, uh, anywhere near the orbit of the Communist Party, even if they're Pluto to the the, the son of the Communist Party, uh, they might be that distant. But if they're in that orbit, they're under surveillance. They're, they're, uh, they're, being, they're subject to at least the possibility of surveillance. The yeah. point is, sorry, just to get back to the real point, the point is, is that is that Oppenheimer went in front of a HUAC committee in 49 and then announces that uh, these guys were all communists, mm -hmm. uh, essentially, and creates real problems for these people. I mean, Lovinitz couldn't get a job. I mean, could not get a job. He was a, he was a, he was a, a first class, world class. I mean, I know that's cliche. Uh, a physicist who, after having been identified as communist, primarily on the basis of, uh, or to a degree on the basis of, uh, to a considerable degree, on the basis of of Oppenheimer's say so, he gets uh, fired from his job at Fisk. He can't get work anywhere. Uh, he's he's so completely um, uh, at sixes and sevens that the only work he can end up getting is working for $1.35 an hour repairing railroad tracks somewhere in the United States. This is after he'd been outed mm. as a communist. That's the effect. Now, you know, personally, I worked on a railway gang and it's funny, I read that section and I immediately thought, I'm not a world-class physicist. I probably deserve <laughs> to work on a railway gang. <laughs> yeah, you know, the other way to look at it is that they made you work on the rail gang, you know, despite not being a communist. No, so, no, no, uh... despite, exactly, despite not myself, my, my not being a communist. And so this idea that, that, that anyway, that really stayed with me. And there are other instances of it. There, 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 there's a guy named uh, Peters who uh, is doesn't suffer quite as badly as Lominus, but but suffers pretty badly as a result of, of uh, Oppenheimer's testimony. And, um, you know, this was a guy who, who was at Dachau, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and as a consequence of him having been a German communist, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Oppenheimer volunteers that information. And then after the fact, his colleagues write a letter to him saying, what on earth are you doing? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not someone who should be pilloried for having ended up as a German communist. He was standing against precisely what it is that you were building the bomb to defeat in the first place. Mm -hmm. right? uh, which was always the idea was that it was it, that the bomb was it was 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 being built to defeat fascism and Nazism. And this idea that he would then go in front of a committee after the fact. And essentially say, oh, well, you know, I had misgivings about the guy because he was a German communist. I mean, that, that, I, now I have to say, I, I simply don't know enough about the, 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 the nature of the relationship between that guy, Peters, and his institutional context and uh, Oppenheimer to say definitively that it's horrible. But it's pretty horrible. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 that's, uh, no, no, it's, it's bad. I mean, like, to, to, you know, any sort of complicity with McCarthyism uh, is bad. And one could, you know, 
uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty uh, compelling that uh, point to make that uh, the, the film does not, um, yeah, f- fully or honestly uh, or accurately convey that, like uh, well, in I, the case of Oppenheimer. Yeah. 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 And I have to say, b- both in the book and in the film, you know, you're, you're left with this impression of Oppenheimer as being, uh, you know, a, 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 the flaw in his genius is uh, that he has a nervous disposition, mm-hmm. right? And that he's given to, uh, you know, an otherwise super rational, super intelligent person is given to sort of uh, uh, s- succumbing to his baser or animal or feral instincts. Gene Tatlock, he's having sex with her, reading the Bhagavad Gita, right? Uh, uh, he actually uses the line while they're having sex in the movie about I'm become... And he's reading it in the original Sanskrit. I mean, incredible, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I doubt that happened. But the point is, it's a nice dramatic touch that reinforces the idea that he that he you know periodically gives in to uh, his 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 um, uh, venal to to mm-hmm. his venal flaws, right? Well, mm-hmm. I, honestly, I gotta say, I mean, p- particularly when i looked at the into the into the issue of laminate so as i say is actually portrayed in the movie and there is actually a, a shot of him working on the rail gang but the but the implication that the film gives you is that uh he suffers uh uh precisely because uh of of uh lewis straws Lewis Straws, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, a a of, of he's a victim of the same system that goes uh, after Oppenheimer. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, no. In the scene where he's shown working on the rail gang, it, it is Straws who's narrating and he's saying like, you know, we got rid of um, uh, like uh, Oppenheimer's brother. You know, he wasn't able to work again. Uh, right. And uh, and uh, uh, Lemitz is made to work on the rail gang. And, you know, like Oppenheimer is part of this. So so it is kind of shown that the the system that um victimized Oppenheimer is also um um victimizing Lumitz. And then I, I think what you're suggesting is that uh Oppenheimer himself is uh you know like guilty and, of this. And then the, the yeah I, I think that's and, and uh, not just that there, there's also port of convenience. I mean the thing is is that it's convenient at that moment in 49 for him to look like he understands what the concerns are of a committee like, like HUAC, the executive committee at HUAC. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's but he's doing that for reasons that really have to do with J. Robert Oppenheimer. OK, to reformulate this, though, is I mean, your critique of the movie is that I it's sort of showing him to be this idealist who was brought down by, you know, like a corrupt system. And or, you're saying like venal you, sins. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah, or venal sins that let him um, become complicit in a, in, a, in a terrible military industrial complex. But that you would insist that Oppenheimer himself was an operator. He was a player. He was like knowingly, willingly going into uh, doing this and that he himself was engaged in the task of sort of self-promotion. He wanted to be the father of the A-bomb. He wanted to be this world historical figure and that there's no um, uh, loss of innocence here. Well, no, and this is this is part of it. It's more in the book than in the movie, but there's always this sort of sense that when he falls to, you know, ratting out his friends or acting uh, uh, irrationally, it, it, there's always a sense that, well, he's kind of a naive right? That he's a genius naive. And that, again, this idea that he was at all naive, 
really mm-hmm. strikes me as being uh, completely uh, uh, the 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 the, re- the record gainsays it gainsays it. And earlier in the book, uh, and it's he's not portrayed in the movie is the is the experience of a guy called um, uh, Robert Wilson. Uh, and this really stayed with me that Wilson was a guy who's a Quaker, and he was a central figure as much as er- Ernest Lawrence or any of the. B- bigger names that are portrayed in the movie mm-hmm. uh, as a as a both a, a, you know a, a, a kind of engineer a, th- he was a top ranked theoretical physicist but also had uh, uh, abilities as a as a, 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 a on the engineering side mm-hmm. and he had misgiving now listen th- the other thing about all this is that they all adore him right Lominitz adored him and even at the end of his life. Lawrence could not bring himself to say uh, Oppenheimer was the son of a bitch. I mean, mm-hmm. he he basically said, "Oh, you know, I was saddened by his by 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 the manner in which he conducted himself with regards to my 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 set of circumstances." Wilson similarly d- d- never really loses his temper about what happens, and what happens is this: here's a guy; he's a Quaker, adores uh, uh, absolutely adores uh, 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 Oppenheimer. After the Nazis are out of the war, Wilson strikes a series of kind of ad hoc committees at Los Alamos, where he's a central player, mm-hmm. which are which are which are struck essentially among you know the various minds and brains and you know physicists and engineering people and so forth. And there are voluntary meetings where lots of people come to discuss whether that what effect this change in the mandate has because the Germans are out of the war, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how are we going to, how, how are we going to deal with this thing now that, now, now that the, what, what was ostensibly the purpose of building this thing doesn't exist anymore, right? Germany's mm-hmm. out of the war, but they're still in it against Japan. Mm-hmm. What's intriguing is that at the end of that cycle, and listen, Oppenheimer is smart. He goes to a couple of the meetings. He doesn't say much. Again, none of this is portrayed in the movie. Or yeah, no, actually, the, the no. There's, no, 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 there's one right. scene I should. I, 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 no, you're, I, you're right. You're right. You're yeah, there's one scene where he is shown to go to such a meeting, and he basically gives um, uh, a justification for using the bomb against Japan, which is that we've created this terrible weapon. Humanity will never understand it unless it's used. And right, right. If it is you're used. Like, you know, once then people will realize how horrible it is, and then we have a chance that it'll never be used again. Right. Accept that, <laughs> which works in the movie. Make no yeah. mistake, and you're absolutely yeah. right. And 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 in the record as described in the book, which again is not definitive. I know somebody yeah. the, the, in the in part one of this thing was saying there's too much reliance on transcripts and all the rest of it to even yeah. get to, to even give the book total credibility. Yeah. But th- th- this particular section, I've I've seen it reinforced both in a, a documentary called uh, "The Day After Trinity," which I commend on in 1980. Um, uh, where Wilson does play a central role. Wilson basically says that he had uh, been in contact during and after those meetings to discuss the the ambivalence or ambiguity or misgivings that these physicists had about the use of the bombing against Japan. Oppenheimer left him with the very, very strong uh, uh, impression that there was going to be a demonstration explosion for the Japanese, mm. that they were going to be brought to a, to somewhere, see the thing, 
see the bomb go off and be given the opportunity to realize the, the hopelessness of their position without dropping it on her, which, you know, had they realized it, no need to drop it on uh, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? And then as we know, uh, uh, and to a degree what's portrayed in the film is that precisely for the reasons that you suggest, which is this might be the thing that ends all war, right? Uh, Oppenheimer is intimately involved in the planning and selection of the cities and the engineering of how the thing was going to drop and to do where, where it was to be dropped, how it was to be dropped, so it would uh, eviscerate Hiroshima. After it was dropped, Wilson is mortified. He knows nothing of it. He then says directly, uh, again, not portrayed in the in the in the film, um, that he felt betrayed, and he uses those exact words. He, he felt betrayed by by Oppenheimer. Now the thing is, that's not it. look. People can feel betrayed on the margins of an enormous engineering program for a variety of reasons. Robert Wilson was at the dead center of this thing. And Oppenheimer knew perfectly well that he needed to sideline this guy because he was organizing people around a, an alternate view of the use of the bomb. Had Oppenheimer been, and I'm just gonna say it, true to his word, in other words, the impression he'd left with Wilson, he would have taken himself likely. He would have taken himself out of this, the, uh, out of the the, the central position as uh, a player in in uh, the uh, 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 prosecution of the war uh, against Japan and subsequently, right? The military would have said, "Oh, he's a flake. We we can't deal with him," right? But the simple fact remains that 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 a guy like Wilson, who's a serious character, it seems to me, with a strong moral sense, is left to feel utterly betrayed by Oppenheimer. And why? Because Oppenheimer knows, as you suggested earlier, what size bread is buttered on. He knows that what, what's best for J. Robert Oppenheimer. All of which is, is fine. It's, it's a grown-up world, I understand. But boy, oh boy, when you see that in the context of that last shot in the movie, where the world is left with the impression that this poor guy, you know, was 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 utterly uh, was himself betrayed by the military industrial complex. I find that a little hard to take. I mean, not, it does, as I say, not to gainsay the excellence of the movie. It's a great movie. But there's a as I say, there's a sinkhole somewhere near the middle of it. Sure, sure. You know, I, I think that's. Uh... Uh, uh, these are all uh, very compelling points and uh, uh, well made. I mean, uh, to uh, some degree, uh, as in the earlier discussion um, um, uh, with my friends at Jewish Currents, uh, I mean, the movie as presented is a story of the sort of the tragedy of the popular front left. The um, uh, and it, it is interesting for you know. Uh, uh, those of us on this podcast uh, and at the nation, because it's a movie, you know, about the left, which one does sees, you know, very rarely. Um, but um, where one situates Oppenheimer in that tragedy, whether he's the sort of betrayed innocent or he is in fact the you know operator who uh, fully you know, with eyes open, you know, participates in, in a system that also ultimately ends up uh, doing him great damage. I, I mean, I think that's an open question. And um, I think that the uh, the movie definitely skews in one direction. 
No, no, and and listen, the, the point you make about 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 anti-communism and 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 sort of Oppenheimer's willingness to truck and trade in that when it's convenient for him, in a way, it's more tragic. It, it's it's it, it. I mean, again, I'm not. You know, I've written a screenplay. It's really hard to do. Uh, you know, anybody who can do it with with the excellence of Christopher Nolan has my undying devotion, and it's a great screenplay. But one wonders what might have happened if he'd engaged in the idea that uh, Oppenheimer was both a perpetrator and a victim simultaneously of precisely the, the anti-communism that ostensibly brought him down, right? That Strauss uh, picking up on McCarthyism, and of course Strauss. I mean, a completely, really, an extraordinary performance by 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 uh, Downey, yeah. right? Robert uh, Downey Jr. He, yes, Robert Downey Jr. Because he catches the sophistication of a guy who realizes that he can't engage directly with McCarthy, and in fact puts McCarthy off when Roy Cohn comes calling and saying, "We'd like to put him in front of our committee." Right. And uh, Strauss says, no, 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 because that would be and I think he says it in the movie. He says, we don't want to be dealing with those 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 Philistines. Right. We need mm -hmm. to do this more subtly. And the, and and and, I, you know, the, sure. I, I, but the thing is, at the end of the day, the anti-communism is portrayed in the movie. The anti-communism that that. Oppenheimer himself, uh, as I say, has truck and trade with in in the course of if not the film itself although i guess that could be argued um but certainly in in terms of the record in terms of the biography he certainly does truck and trade with that kind of anti-communism anti that is a there's a straight line from that stuff to to trump to trump and to mm -hmm. what we're seeing now right this kind of insane populist lunacy that's taken hold, that's destroyed uh, even the possibility of that kind of subtle malevolence <laughs> demonstrated by Louis Strauss. Louis <laughs> Strauss would be would have been left behind in the sands of history by some of these characters that we see now. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, it is the sort of um, what you're outlining, this alternative narrative. I mean, it's the tragedy, you know, um, uh, of liberal anti-communism, right? Of the sort of, uh, which is what I think Oppenheimer became like um uh by the 40s perhaps after the uh, uh um the um uh soviet um uh uh german pact um the but, but i mean the, the problem with liberal anti-communism is that it ultimately ends up empowering the forces that destroyed liberalism itself um uh, and that's something i don't think that's as widely understood um, except among historians, there's excellent historians who've written about this. Uh, but if one sees that uh, uh, Oppenheimer's story as um, uh, liberal anti-communism giving a sword to you know um, um, its own enemies uh, to be disemboweled, uh, you know, by the people that it empowers, that that's a pretty compelling story. And, and as I mentioned in the previous podcast, um, that there's also ways in which this complicates the figure of uh, Louis Strauss himself, um, you know, who's coming out of a sort of um, um, conservative Jewish community 
that wants, uh, you know, like after the anti-Semitism of the 20th century, wants to be reconciled to the American elite and uh, uses the scapegoating of Oppenheimer as an instrument in that way. So what we're seeing is like, you know, anti-communism allows for multiple betrayals. Uh, the betrayal of Strauss of Oppenheim, Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer's betrayal of Lumet. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think there's definitely an argument that uh, that narrative does not come through in the film. No, no, and it's interesting. You know, I, I have to say, and and and, but by the way, the book is excellent. I totally commend it. It's a great piece of scholarship. And, 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 and I should add, uh, you know, just so we're all up front here, uh, Kai Bird uh, is very much a friend of the Nation magazine and uh, has a, a position, I believe, either on the board or as an advisor to the magazine. Uh, so, so, so we're all very happy that uh, uh, the book is uh, doing well and <laughs> he's collecting uh, royalties uh, uh, from, from, from the uh, all the sales of the book and, and it is and he's also uh and i say this like with less irony uh is uh uh a genuinely uh important american historian no no, no. and 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 there's no i i watched a, a interview between him and david nuremberg who's the new director of the institute for advanced studies he's a completely compelling guy and, and he's interesting now in the book he does really come down hard on this idea that the, what suffers most in, as a consequence, and it's not, it's 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 true that the the sort of the, the 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 American liberal idealism suffers terribly in the course of this, uh, uh, in the course of 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 all of the conduct around McCarthy and all the rest of it. There's not a lot of discussion in the book about who get, the baby that gets thrown out with the bathwater, which is which is uh, the, the, uh, American socialism. Um, and which, you know, hasn't been doing too badly lately. I mean, it's, it's, it seems to be holding its own. Right? Sure, as, sure. As yeah, they, but I mean, that's after, you know, uh, 70 years of repression, right? Like, <laughs> right. But the under, I, I guess my point is, and I, God, God knows I'm no political theorist, but, but my underlying point is, is that the, uh, that the, that, and you've hinted at it, that, that there's an underlying dynamic about capital. And I think somebody in the last, uh, 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 podcast made mention of this more explicitly that there's something about the nature of the relationship between capital and labor that that gets that gets tied up with the development of the bomb and that ends up destroying uh well put it this way takes takes the decisions about how the bomb is going to be used out of the hands of anyone that has any kind of moral sense and i and i will say to to, to his credit Nolan catches this exactly when he has the has the meeting between Oppenheimer and 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 uh, Truman, where he portrays mm -hmm. Truman for precisely what he was, which is a reactionary uh, bigot, uh, uh, and has um, uh, Oppenheimer saying, "Look, I feel as if I have blood on my hands," right? Which may not have been, you know. And again, that leads Truman to say, "I don't want to see that crybaby again." Right. But the but the point being that that, that that the part of Oppenheimer that suggests that I have blood on my hands is the part of Oppenheimer that really was interested intellectually in uh, the communist ideal and in, and why he got engaged with people like Steve Nelson and why it mattered to him that he be on the margin of those groups, which, which got him into all kinds of shit water later on. Right. Mm -hmm. Shit water that he knew he was getting into and then distanced himself from. 
Yeah, no, 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 no. It's it's a a fascinating story. Uh, uh, and Oppenheimer himself, the historical man, remains like uh, just uh, like a uh, a real fount of uh, um, historical interest because he brings so many important currents together in right. one and, life. Right. Uh, Sir, just one last thing. I just 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 to say that you know everything in a way. What I'm saying is an appendix to what David Cleon was saying last week about what's great about the movie, which is that we're even having a, a conversation like this, right? That, 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 that all kinds of people are going and seeing the movie and suddenly thinking about what is the place of the left in American life in a way that they haven't thought about. And again, I'm, I'm, this is all an appendix to Cleon uh, uh, in, in a way they haven't thought about since Reds, right? Since Warren Beatty's version of Reds in, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, so in that sense, it's, it's all positive and and many of the complications and ambiguities and ambivalences that are evident in Oppenheimer in the film are what lead people to talk about. It. Sure, sure. No, I think that's right. I think that's it. Oh, I, I, I will add um, just as a since we're uh, all about quibbling on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, Cleon said, you know, like Reds was the last major movie that dealt with this. And so certainly like in terms of budget and, you know, I mean, Reds was astonishingly um, enjoyed uh, a screening at the White House and not just the White House, the White House of Ronald Reagan, uh, oh. which is like uh, like almost unimaginable today. But but I do think that there have been other movies that have, you know, touched on the history of the left. I'll, I'll mention Cradle Will Rock, um, the Tim Robbins film um, yeah. about but uh, Diego Rivera and um, the Rockefeller family. Uh, I'll mention, I, I think, the larger oeuvre of the uh, Coen brothers, which um, uh, I think one of the major themes of their work is the defeat of the American left and the um, the consequences uh, that defeat leads. Uh, uh, most visible in, uh, I think, their uh, movie Hail Caesar, which offers a kind of satirical take on um the blacklist and uh anti-communism but, but in any case uh but quibbles aside i mean uh unlike those movies this one um is enjoying a, a vast uh, global audience uh and i think i think that that does signify something new there's a, there's something in this movie that people are responding to and i think that's worth recording no no and and look and, and as a massive massive blockbuster i mean it's it's interesting that you see you you mentioned cradle of rock which i weirdly i reviewed that uh mm -hmm. in the mists of time and uh that movie was was vilified um yes pr pr precisely because there was some perception that this was a movie because it was dealing with um uh you know really you know, just, just I mean, the bare minimum of uh, socialist ideals that were that were evident in the New Deal, right? It was kind of vilified as 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 a kind of ungainly and 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 naively romantic film, uh, where in fact there was a lot in that movie that 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 I'll say it that that Nolan could have drawn from, particularly Bill Murray's performance uh, in, in that movie, which I don't remember. The character, that he, but but he he sings the international at one point, or does he have a? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, the thing is, is that there's a lot in that film, and I do commend it. I do commend it. Yeah, and in the movie, uh, Bill Murray plays uh, Tommy Crickshaw. Right, 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 right. But, there, but in any case, uh, yeah, I know no, that that is a very good movie and uh, worth um, uh, revisiting. Yeah, uh, and vastly, 
vastly underrated. Vastly. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, I think maybe we'll do a few feature podcasts on some movies about the left. I think that would be a, something that our audience would enjoy. But uh, but uh, on that note, I want to thank uh, Doug uh, once again for being here and for this uh, very illuminating discussion of uh, Oppenheimer. And as always, Ajit, I learned a lot more through the course of it than I did at the beginning. Thank you very, very much.